Hello, everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about nine ways to heal your body, mind, and spirit with somatic work. We're going to be talking about our personal experiences, the practices that we like the most, and what really helps us stay grounded in crazy times like this. Um, And we're really talking about this because we see that a lot of people are dealing with chronic stress lately and it's affecting them psychologically, emotionally, it's affecting their relationships. We're going to talk about why the body-mind connection is so important and we're going to tell you uh, nine different things spread out across the two hours that we do in order to keep ourselves healthy, grounded, connected to our true selves, etc., Um, But before we get into it, I'm just going to make a quick announcement. Our next round of Embodied Soul Awakening, which is our 14-week online group coaching program in psychological and spiritual work, is going to be happening on April 17th. This is, again, limited to 35 people. And we are going to, we are already taking applications. I think we're about halfway full at the time of this recording. So if you want to join us for our next round, we're going to go in depth into various psychological, spiritual practices, knowledge, teachings. Um, Basically, we just go way deeper into stuff that we talk about on the podcast in this program. And so that's going to start from April 17th to July 24th, but you can apply now. I recommend applying now because we're already about halfway full and you can go to www.thetimeoftransition.com to apply. So let's go into it. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about mostly because, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, we live in a world where people are completely checked out of their bodies. And this body-mind split is increasing more and more. People are disassociated. People are out of body. Also because of technology. Most of us, we are on computers, social media. More and more people work on computers Um and it naturally, they are more stuck in their head and lose their connection to the body. On top of that, we also have been through an intense past three years, if we talked about many episodes in this podcast, dealing with what we call the trauma installment program because of what happened, uh, the craziness over the past years. A lot of people are suffering, getting traumatized. People are traumatized without even knowing that they are traumatized, hence they naturally check out. It's a trauma response to disassociate from your body, from your emotions, from your feelings and all of that. Yeah. So, And that, again, we can go even deeper than that as well. This the body-mind split also creates entry points for other forces or cold forces, hostile forces to come in and all of that ties into the transhumanism AI agenda, which is also trying to increase the body-mind split, which can relate um, result in more soul fragmentation, the dislodging of the soul of the body. So the key point to, number one, Understanding the body-mind connection, really being embodied in our body, relates to the great work, which we go deep in our our online program as well, of embodiment to anchor the soul within. But before that, we need to also be really truly in touch with our bodies. And our body is an amazing, intelligent organism that can heal itself, that has you have all the healing capabilities within yourself, but we need to go consciously or make conscious efforts to get into the body with the various practices and exercises and modalities you want to share on this podcast. Yeah. So basically, let me just touch on some symptoms of disassociation so Mm -hmm. that people can, because I I know that a lot of people actually can't really tell when they're disassociated. So 
When you're disassociated, you basically are disconnected from yourself, your body, your emotions. You know, you're usually stuck in the head or sometimes you're not even stuck in the head. Sometimes you just feel really spaced out. Um, when you're disassociated, you can have problems focusing, um, problems like, you know, concentrating on something. Uh, you can have significant memory lapses, like forgetting stuff. Um, depression, anxiety are huge symptoms of disassociate. Uh, disassociation that most people miss. Um, you can also just feel unexpectedly not good all of a sudden. You don't know why. Um, spaced out. Um, confused is another uh, word for it. And also another thing is like, you know, with disassociating, we just blank out all of a sudden and we can just be focusing on something and all of a sudden we're just somewhere else. And I want to also point out that there's kind of positive disassociation. Like when you imagine something that you want to happen in the future, that's a form of disassociation. But we're talking about the disassociation that happens unconsciously and happens at the cost of your relationships, your relationship to yourself, and relationship to others. Um, and also, you know, when you're disassociated, you don't feel like the world is real. You don't feel like your life is real. You feel numb and distant from your surroundings. You feel usually a very um, either hyper-emotional or emotionally flat, which is a symptom of freeze. Mm -hmm. So you can notice this all the time. Like, for example, when I'm working on the computer and I notice that I'm having trouble focusing, I understand that I'm disassociating and I'm like, okay, what can I do to get into my body? What can I do to find a place of safety? So we all have certain symptoms that show up, um, but you really want to get to learn to read your body being like, how am I feeling? What's coming up for me? You know, because people think that spacing out, not being able to focus, having ADHD, feeling disconnected from yourself, if you've been doing this for long enough, it can literally feel like this is just how life is. This is how being an yes. adult is. Yeah. Sorry, I want to exactly address what you just yeah. said. Um, so you can just get, you basically get used to feeling that way. And then maybe after like a yoga uh, session or you go do some like, you know, get a massage or something. Finally, you feel back to yourself. But that's actually how you're normally supposed to be when you're in this relaxed state and the disassociation is actually an abnormal th way to be. So people have normalized this behavior because they feel like this all the time. Exactly. So excellent point. Uh, and I also was thinking when you um, were making this list, I would say, and maybe you've mentioned that you mentioned ADHD, ADD, attention dis deficit disorder, as well as short, short attention span epidemic is also a symptom of the disembodiment, exactly. I would say, right? Exactly, so that's, that's yeah. a big thing. But you made a really good point, and I've noticed I'm going to share about this more, and I know uh, if the listeners know, um, but I have uh, used to work as a professional body worker for over 15 years, had my own practice, and I'm going to share about that as well. Uh, but I've noticed in my clients, a lot of people, like you said, uh, the disembodied, disassociated state of being has become normalized, meaning they didn't feel that there was anything wrong with them because they're so used to it. Mm -hmm, Almost mm -hmm. being used to feeling numb and out of body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a lot of people, like I said before, as in this day and age, people are suffering and traumatized, but they don't know that they're traumatized or suffering because they are disassociated and disembodied. And sometimes that can go on for decades. Exactly. So let's talk about why this body-mind connection is so important. We can just talk about some basic facts about that. So for starters, I'll just preface it. What's happening in your body affects your thinking and your thinking affects your body. And 
so they kind of work in tandem. So the more tension, the more unprocessed emotion you have in your body, the more negative thoughts you tend to have actually. So people who are constantly like when, even when I notice it in myself or you, when we get caught in these negative kind of mindsets, we're just con and you know, and I'm not talking about some love and light. We should only focus on the positive. I just mean that when people tend to orient towards depressive thoughts, what could go wrong? You know, usually this is a symptom of some sort of um, depression or anxiety, basically. It's a fear-based mindset. And so basically, you know, whatever you're storing in your body is affecting those thoughts. And it can also happen in reverse. But I would say for most people, they're carrying around chronic body tension that is actually affecting their thinking. Because I know when I release the tension from my body, I start to think differently. Yeah, exactly. So we I really want to, because that's the foundation of this uh, podcast as well. So we really want to understand the body-mind connection because the body is more than this, this flesh of organs muscles and, and bone that we think is just mechanically moving. It's infused with life force. It's infused with consciousness, with memory and energy. You know, people always say they do energy work or do body work. I do body work. But I think any form of body work is energy work because if you consider the your body and tune in with a high-end microscope, at, at some point you just see atoms and electrons swirling around. Our body is just, you know, uh, matter uh, or consciousness condensed to a certain vibration, which then manifests as matter, but it's all energy in that sense. Now, I would like to read something real quick. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote uh, many years ago uh, when I was my active as my bodywork practice. I had this on my website and that kind of, from my own experience, uh, not only intellectually, but my own experience of having received bodywork and doing this work for a long time, you know, um, resulted in this insight. So, Looking at the entirety of existence, everything is manifest through the lattice work of universal energy. Our muscles, tissue, organs, and bones are carriers of energy and memory, all of which are interrelated and connected to one another. The body is a holistic organism where nothing is isolated. Everything affects us physically and energetically and psychically on some level. Any experience we ever had, even things that happened to us in the past but were forgotten about or we were even uh, not uh, were not even uh, aware of, is still held in the body. Be it grief, a broken relationship, emotional pain, everyday stress, childhood wounds, injuries, accidents and trauma, etc. The body stores the experience and does not quote-unquote forget about until the pattern is released through the holistic somatic treatment or, and release. Stress, the most common symptom of modern life, affects the body tremendously, resulting in muscle cramping, bad posture, and buildup of tension armoring, right? Tight muscles, basically. Now, it's really important to understand what chronic tight muscles do. Now, chronic tight muscles, in a sense, are a sign that they're constantly contracting, right? They're using always life force to keep active, to keep contracting. So it's, it's literally a waste of energy. That's why you get so tired when you're constantly, you're holding on to something, you're holding on to your past, basically. In other words, these muscles are always working, never relaxed and at ease. Now, this state of, state of hyperactivity alone constantly drains energy from the life force, also known as chi, the life force, uh, and to keep going. It's, I like the analogy of kind of like driving a car with the handbrake on constantly. Energy can't freely flow in the various areas of the body, the muscles, organs, tissue and bones, aren't getting enough chi or life force, prana, to repair and regenerate themselves, resulting in entropy, uh, a premature breakdown in aging over time. Mm -hmm. 
And then this relates to what you said. This can there's a vicious cycle because that leads to negative emotion, tiredness, depression, mental sluggishness, uh, short attention span, irritation, and even more severe illness and injuries and overall dis-ease. Yeah. So the body, if the body keeps the stress inside instead of releasing it and letting go, while simultaneously getting overloaded with even more toxins, right? Poor diet, lack of exercise, unhelpful life habits the life force is simply not sufficient to keep the body in a healthy condition. The immune system then weakens, which can lead to sickness, injury, chronic pain, or even seriously life-threatening conditioning conditions like cancer. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about yoga and Qigong as like one of our main practices and yes. go, go into it. Or did you want to... That's fine. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because I have a story to tell about that. So... You know what? For a long time, people may be surprised by this. I used to actually make fun of yoga asana practice. I thought it was cheesy. I thought that it was like this form of spiritual materialism, which it actually kind of is. Like everyone knows that the kind of hot yoga studios, at least in the US, are like basically like exercise. They're missing the spiritual aspect. Um, so I was really like make I was like literally making fun of yoga out of my own shadow projection, actually. And this is like before 2012 when I had this big awakening experience. And then right in 2011, uh, I started noticing tension in my body. And that's when I started doing yoga like secretly. I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want, I was like embarrassed that I was doing it. But then in 2012, after I had this big breakdown, breakthrough, I decided I was going to focus 100% on healing myself. I was just recovering from major opiate addiction. My body was in such bad shape. I can't even imagine. I mean, back then I was feeling low energy, negative thinking, chronically, um, you know, in pain and emotional pain too, not just physical pain. So I was not doing very well physically at the time. And I had just got out of a very bad breakup with a, um, which actually turned violent and it was really traumatic. Um, I was even having PTSD flashbacks, which I didn't realize at the time, but for the first time in my life where I'd get into panic attacks, just being reminded of the situation. Um, and I remember that when I, the first time that I realized yoga was really effective, um, was I was doing like a 20 minute yoga. I was starting really light and near the end of the yoga class, we were in pigeon pose. And for those who don't know what that pose is, it's basically like a really deep hip opener. And I'll never forget just breaking down in like grief after not being able to feel anything for years in that pose. And that was the moment I realized, wow there is emotion that's stuck in my body. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to like unravel that thought. But that's when I started to really realize that yoga was not just this kind of like fitness thing. It was actually a process that could help release trauma because I had trouble crying. Actually, I had been like so hardened. So, uh, you know, I had been exposed to so much trauma that basically like I really hardened myself. I was just like, get on, you know, push it down move on with your life. So this really helped me actually process some of the trauma that I had been through for the past years. It helped me process feelings from this uh, really toxic relationship I just got out of. And that's when I started to see that, wow, there's something really to this practice and it can really help me in my healing, not just make me feel better, but it can also yeah. help me let go of the past. 
Now you made a good, by the way, was this your very first yoga class you just described or? It was, no, I think I probably, it was definitely one, one less than 50, I was definitely left less than 50 classes yeah. in. But so I, yeah, that just opened something up. No, it's fa- I just want to refer what you said, it's fascinating, especially I know this also from body work and my own yoga practice, the hips store a lot of trauma, yes. a lot of it in there, you know, people's hips. And you also need to have a certain sensitivity, like also engage in this practice, like you said, um, for a certain time, it just doesn't happen automatically. But um, I know of our experience that the body, there's so much we're holding on to. So the consistency is key in this practice, right? Yeah, the consistency is really key. It's not something like, I know sometimes people just go to yoga <clears throat> retreats and they feel amazing and they come back and they don't do anything, you know. And even a little bit is better than nothing. Like just for example, I started out just doing 15, 20 minutes of yoga a day, but I was really consistent because it was helping me. It was helping ground me. I found that more, uh, you know, in my practice, I find this also more, I mean, to each their own. Going to yoga classes class is amazing, you know, because you're getting pushed by the group as well, especially hot yoga and all of that. Uh, but I find it very beneficial to do every day a little bit, like even just 10, 15, 20 minutes. Definitely. You know? Like, so like a little recommendation, especially if you have chronic tension in certain parts of your body that I'm sure you're aware of if you do, finding certain yoga poses that work for those specific parts of your body, whether it's the shoulders or hips or hamstrings or whatever, and then engaging in them regularly will really help you. And also, you know, it's not something, the main thing to do when you're practicing yoga is you're trying to gently explore the sensation with your awareness. So you're not yes. trying to aggressively make the sensation go away, which is what people often do because they're in so much pain. You're just gently placing your awareness and you're noticing the sensations that are there and breathing into it with the breath. So the reason why it's really important not to aggressively try and change yes. things is because you actually encapsulate your body with more tension through your mindset. Yeah, that's a very important point. So you don't go to yoga practice like you go, for example, like maybe most people go to a gym and push yourself yes. or have some music on just go, go, go. Yeah. No, the key point of yoga is also, by the way, on that note, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I remember living in LA and all these dancers, ex-ballet people or whatever became yoga teachers because they're super flexible. Just because you're flexible doesn't mean you're fully embodied. You have to be very clear about that, right? You can be super flexible, but still out of body. So the key point is developing, like Laura just said, the body awareness, the self-awareness to really explore your body and play with the edge. And that's very specific to you. Right. So it's about developing the body awareness, the sensitivity, which may take some time because, as we said before, most people are completely checked out of their bodies. And I also want to mention, I can relate what you said. Some yoga classes, yeah, they feel amazing. You stretch and you feel good afterwards. But sometimes after yoga class, I'm in a bad mood <laughs> because yeah. stuff comes up. Yeah. Like I start anger, I stored and all kinds of emotions and all this stuff I was suppressing or even sadness, irritation, whatever comes up comes up after doing the yoga practice because it needed to come up. Because you got rid normal. of the body armor. That exactly. Wasn't... So don't think that you're always going to feel great and blissful. Sometimes it's a process and you uh, stuff comes up. Uh, you didn't, uh, you weren't aware of, you were carrying it and it relates to negative emotions, which is fine. They need to come up. And the way you release them is by allowing themselves to, f- allowing yourself to feel them, yeah. process them, and then they're gone instead of holding on to them. Exactly, right? exactly. I can't even tell how many times I've cried after a yoga class. It's mm-hmm. like a lot. 
Now, another great form of um, basically somatic uh, practice, I would say, in that sense, is receiving bodywork or massage therapy. I call it bodywork, meaning all kinds of different massage therapy modalities. Could be deep tissue, um, could be rolfing, which more structural work, could be Swedish massage, could be Thai massage, craniosacral, all of these different modalities, which I've studied over the years, and I, I developed my own form of integral uh, integrated body work and as i said had my own private practice for many years working on thousands of people but i want to share a little bit my own story because receiving body work had a huge healing aspect in my own personal journey and one of the big aspects is actually receiving the work right with yoga meditation uh, qigong and all these other practices we can do in our own fine and good but sometimes we need to receive the work and especially receiving nurturing touch and move and let somebody else move our body so we don't move in our habitual ways because even when we do yoga qigong and other practices we still have sometimes our own mechanical habitual ways but let me share with you some my own experience with body work so um as some of you might know obviously i'm from germany i came to the u.s in 1994 to Los Angeles, study drums, percussion. So I was kind of lost there as a little German kid there in his early 20s, couldn't relate to many people. Uh, but I made some good friends with some other European friends, and none of us could relate to the nightlife in LA or to Americans. So back then we organized our own desert parties out in the Mojave Desert once a month with generators go out there. And it was that was keep the Keep in mind, that was back in the 90s. So these were, quote-unquote, illegal parties, underground parties. You got the directions the night before uh, written down. And again, keep in mind, there was no GPS back then, no iPhones, no nothing. So we got the written uh, instructions, you know, go 0.2 miles on this dirt road uh, north, then press zero on the odometer, 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 and then make a left for 1.3 miles and so on and so forth. That was a few hours outside LA, right? In the middle of the desert, driving there in the middle of the night because they started at, at midnight. Um, some people got stuck in all of craziness. Anyway, so we always arrived there around midnight and then um, usually as it is in these desert parties, you stuck yourself, uh, stocked up basically on two things, be it ecstasy or mushrooms. <laughs> LSD or acid back then as well. But, uh, you know, that was my introduction to mushrooms as well. And uh, it helped me in a way back then, I, you know, working through my own trauma and all these kind of things, just being free out there and dancing and just connecting me to something higher and deeper. So these were amazing times, party times. But then the morning came up and then I saw this guy <laughs> crazily tripped out, um, this crazy Yankee from, from New York, Russ was his name. And he put out this table, and I've never seen the table like this before, but it was a massage table he just put out. And he was a massage therapist, and he was also a yoga teacher. And these were completely new practices to me. I remember when I heard, first heard the name yoga, that was, again, back 95, 96. That was very exotic to me. I've never heard of it. What is that actually, right? So, um, you know, I was completely tired out from partying all day, all night, uh, you know, mushroomed out. But very much in my body. So I felt my body like the energy moving and flowing and all of that. So he put me on his massage table and that's how I got my first massage session, therapy session out there on the desert coming down on mushrooms. And as he was working on me, it was really fascinating because it was not just pampering and all of that, but I realized that through his work, his hand touching my body and moving a certain way and going deep into my muscles, 
I had visual sensations. All of a sudden, childhood memories came back up as certain muscles were released and triggered. Certain emotions came up um, that I've suppressed for so long or, uh, or childhood memories I didn't even know I had. So in this moment, instant, I had this instant realization, oh my God, like I mentioned before, my body, my uh, muscle, in that sense, carry that memory all from the past. It's in there. And as the tension was released and emotions came up and I felt freer and more embodied and more not just flexible, but it, there was a healing process that happened through this work. And I had a visceral, in-depth experience that the body is the mind, that all, like I mentioned before, that our, uh, especially our muscles, are carrier of energy and memory. So I really realized the profound healing properties of receiving body work on a deep, deep level. That it's not just pampering and that it's not just about stiffness from, uh, you know, a stressful day or sitting at the desk, but has can can have deep healing um, properties that go deeper into even our childhood wounding and all of that. And it was a really, really profound experience. And from that day on, I explored it more and had many more sessions and it really helped me in my um, somatic process to process a lot of trauma and childhood wounds over the years. Yeah, I can also, um, thank you for sharing. I can also share my own experience. I was very not into body work for a very long time, basically, until I met you, because for anyone who's dealt with uh, sexual abuse trauma, you can be a little bit weird about having random strangers touching your body, understandably so. And I have to say, as someone who's also experienced sexual abuse trauma, having a safe person touch your body in a nurturing way can actually be one of the most direct ways to healing that trauma as well. Mm. That being said, you know, if you're working through, like if you're just discovering major trauma and you haven't gone to therapy or done any self-work on it, that might feel like too much. So you got to really see and check in with your body, you know, is this the right thing for me? But it can be very healing. If you're a woman like I am, it does also help to get a female therapist um, or maybe you do feel safe, safer with a male therapist. I don't know. But choosing the choosing the sex that feels most safe to you helps. I also found when I was first get so when I was first getting body work, actually it was right before we met. There was this this like seventy year old medicine woman who lived at the intentional community that I was living at for a couple years. So for those who haven't been listening very long, I lived in an eco village intentional community for a few years before I met Bernhard, and I did a lot of. Um, healing work there. We lived and worked in community. We grew our own food. We were totally trying to be sustainable. We were doing everything that everyone's basically idealizing now. Um, and anyway, so there's this woman there and she's just like a self-trained medicine woman. She goes out to like do, um, what do you call these um, things, uh, these journeys where you go out into the woods for like a few days and you have to like find yourself again. I forget what they're called, but she does all sorts of indigenous practices. She's not indigenous herself, but she engages in a lot of the local practices of the land there. She also is amazing in sweat lodges. But anyway, I felt safe with her. She was like a 74-year-old grandmother. She did massage. I don't even think she was formally trained, by the way, but she just had that touch. She had that nurturing touch. And, you know, the, I remember the first time she gave me a massage when she even touched me, I kind of flinched because I was so uncomfortable with touch in general. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, I got more massages from her. I relaxed more into it. 
But one thing I realized actually while, while she was massaging me is how I gotten so uncomfortable, how I gotten so comfortable with unsafe touch that when I felt touch, I immediately would recoil or have a negative reaction. So I was working through my own trauma around touch while she was working on me. And it helped me a lot, actually. It helped me relationally because I was finally letting someone touch me in a nurturing way and not and didn't mean sexual. It didn't mean that they were going to do anything wrong to me. And that was creating healing in my own body. Amazing. So that touches on, no pun intended, <laughs> on many things that also relate to what we talked about in the beginning uh, because of this disembodied uh, culture we live in society, especially over the past few years, we've become more paranoid of each other. We've been really taught to fear each other based on like the COVID uh, nonsense and delusion and everybody's a walking germ, social distancing, don't touch each other. The political polarization, the friction and all of that, you don't even know, you know, people are very paranoid or insecure about what to share to another person. So there's this weird kind of disconnect from each other, right? Yeah. But what you mentioned, what what it's really like, what a lot of people have been um, suffering under, and that's why I've, the increase of suicides over the years is the necessity for touch, for nurturing touch, even just a hug. Yeah. And that's so key. Yeah. And I want to touch upon this really from also a physiological, anatomical perspective, really understanding that. And we're going to read here like a text that was written by one of my teachers when I was studying in, in deep body work, and it's very well written. Um, so... He said, um, he wrote, one important fact, uh, Perry Holloman is his name, by the way. One important fact to point out is that the skin is the largest organ of the body and it is literally the surface of the brain. Arising out of the same germ layer of pre-embryonic development, the ectoderm, skin and brain migrate to opposite ends of our physical structure. One at the surface, the other buried by layers of connective tissues, bone and muscle. As if recognizing its own importance and vulnerability, the brain shields itself within the organism while the skin and nervous tissues all arising from the ectoderm extend the brain's reach to our physical periphery. The significance of the brain-skin relationship is one of the most important developmental as well as physiological relationship to understand. Developmentally, the sensations which the skin mediates to the brain orient its growth in a very direct way. A lack of sensory simulation, excuse me, a lack of sensory stimulation in the first five months of life can impede central nervous development to the point of mental retardation and even death. Mm -hmm. This was a lesson learned in an orphanage in the early 1900s when infant mortality rate, about 90% uh, infantility rates, uh, mortality rates of infants, prompted John Hopkins University to research the problem. What they discovered was that infants were starving from lack of touch because the staff had barely enough time to feed and clothe the infants. Yeah. In the, as staffing was increased with the intention of holding and cuddling and physically playing with these children, mortality rates reversed from 9 in 10 to 1 in 10. That's yeah, intense. And, and I have to say, you know, a lot of our relationship with uh, affection is kind of wired into us on this early age. So it's very hard for a lot of people to remember <laughs> what happened to them in childhood. I get it. But if you don't feel comfortable hugging your parents now and you don't feel like they're safe and comforting, it's most likely they weren't like that as a child either, unless something happened to them, like a major trauma. So, you know, we might need, like myself, need to retrain ourselves 
to receive touch in a nurturing way. That may be something that's foreign to us. That may be something that's super uncomfortable for us, like it was for me. I am constantly actually still working on this, and I'll share more in the second hour when we get into it, about how I've had to learn how to take in healthy uh, touch and healthy affection. Yes, exactly. Obviously, there can be the wrong kind of touch as well. Um, but also if, if you notice that you don't like touch at all, there might be related to some sort of trauma in the past, uh, you may not be fully aware of. Um, but I've known throughout my years, I mean, that's when I say again, with body work, receiving body work is way beyond just pampering. And I've, you know, over the past 20 years I've made, I've spent probably more on body work than any other therapy. But the, again, this is about preventive medicine. So I can highly recommend to explore, if you've never received massage, explore the different types of, uh, of body work and massage, Thai massage, craniosacral, deep work, and all of that. Obviously, there needs to be also a client-therapist match, match like, the, like Laura just mentioned, somebody you can trust. Um, but I highly recommend it because sometimes we need to receive the work as well, you know, and it's not just about the technique, right, but also about the energy of the therapist and also this nurturing touch can be very healing is very healing as i've seen for myself just want to end up uh, this this chapter so to speak of body work with a great quote from one of my favorite books by don juan and the book is touched by the goddess the physical psychological and spiritual powers of body work again going about the skin he writes the skin is the surface of the brain to touch the surface to steer the depths i cannot touch an organism's skin anywhere without arousing that organism's entirety that is to say the skin on one hand is on one hand a primary boundary of our physical selves on on the other hand a primary threshold of interactions that connect our inner world with the world around us in many ways the sim- the stimulation of this threshold is as necessary to us as water, food, or oxygen. And we saw this with the example before, you know, if infants are not touched or even held in a nurturing way, they die. Um, and we as an adults need that as, as well. <laughs> Without adequate stimulation of our skins, we will languish. Infants sufficiently deprived of touch perish, regardless of being fed and sheltered. Slightly more, but still an inadequate touch results in deprivation dwarfism with severe abnormalities of development that closely mimic those caused by chronic malnutrition. Adults experimentally deprived of tactile sensations become psychologically deranged. There's indeed something in the touch of flesh with flesh without which we simply cannot thrive. Okay, so another big practice that I'm a fan of is something that is called somatic meditation. And so this is essentially meditation where you keep the awareness in your body and you are staying present with the sensations as they arise and as they unfold. So the way that it's different from what is called Vipassana meditation Um, which is really infamous for the Vipassana Meditation Center, which is basically body scanning, is that when I did Vipassana retreats, they encourage you to basically scan the body. And if you notice a point of tension, just move on to the next area of your body. You're almost like one of those actual old school scanners, like scanning your body from head to toe. At least that's how I was taught it in Vipassana meditation. I personally don't think that's effective. What I do actually is when I notice a point of tension or stiffness or, um, you know, something that feels very stuck in my body, I gently place my awareness and I stay with it. 
and I breathe into it without trying to fix or change it. And I allow whatever sensations, emotions are there to arise. And this is a practice because when you first start doing this, what the mind will start doing is the mind will start going to coping mechanisms. So the mind, if you're staying, so for example, I have a point of tension in my back shoulder that sometimes uh, really kind of just affects me in, in like, it's painful basically. And so if that's really painful, number one, I should be doing yoga before the meditation. But number two is that my mind will jump to stories to distract myself. And I have to keep bringing myself to the body every time my mind starts to disassociate. That's me disassociating. My mind is disassociating. I start to run after a story. I have to keep going back to the body and staying with it in full presence. And my most profound experience with somatic meditation actually happened on a retreat. And it was over, I believe, the course of the day. So basically, for those who have been on who haven't been on meditation retreats, you basically I went away for two weeks this time, you can go away from anywhere from 10 days to two weeks. And it's usually silent. So you're not allowed to speak. Um, you're usually suggested not to write or read anything. Sometimes people break that rule. But either way, you're not speaking and you're just meditating from basically five to 6am to evening, essentially, your whole day is meditation. And so it gets really intense and all sorts of stuff comes up. And I had this one time where I was really focusing on this tension in my shoulder for a few sessions. Like I was literally going into each hour session, exploring it deeper, staying with it. And so as I focused on it, the first thing that came up was actually some more recent memories. So I was remembering stuff that happened in my coaching sessions. I was remembering other people's stuff that was shared to me in a one-on-one -on -one coaching session that was actually stored in my body. So other people's emotions and stories were being stored in my body. So oh, that's what came so that's what came up first. And then as I started focusing on it more, and this is like, I did three or four hours focusing on the same part of my body because I had the opportunity because as a retreat, I'm like, what else am I going to do? Um, and so I was focusing on this point of tension in my shoulder. And then on the second session that I was doing this, what actually came up was early childhood stuff. And I started to get this download for traumas that happened in my childhood that actually had caused some extreme mental illness in my brother. And it all made sense. Like I was like focusing on just this tension in my, in my body and these childhood memories were coming up um, and how they actually contributed to someone in my family that has mental illness, extreme and a severe mental illness. Um, so that was the second part. But then the weirdest part happened on the third or fourth session. So this is about three or four hours literally meditating on the same part of my body, by the way. And then I started to go into some ancestral stuff. And then I started to go into the fear of my grandparents who were, stored in, who were put mm. into an internment camp um, way before I was born. And this memory was actually being stored in my own body and how they felt. And that was really the most profound part to me is that people who, I didn't even meet my grandfather, by the way, he died before I was born, but his memories and stuff that happened decades before I was born was being carried in this one piece of one part of my body where I was carrying the most chronic tension. So that was very fascinating. It was essentially like intergenerational trauma was being carried in this specific part of my body and it manifested through my childhood mm. and it manifested through the way I hold on to experiences. 
Um, and after that, actually, I went through, um, it was really intense, by the way. It was very painful. It was emotionally painful. I was crying uh, in some of the meditation sessions. But after that, I felt freer and more open and just really just grounded in my true self after that session. I remember even leaving that session and walking in the snow. Um, I was just doing walks after doing a meditation session, uh, every meditation session to clear my mind. I was literally like, oh my God, this is like, this is must be what enlightenment feels like. Like that's, that, that's how good I was feeling, like totally free and open and totally myself. And this was after four hours of being in pretty intense emotional and physical pain at times exploring this piece part of my body yeah amazing thank you so much for sharing that reminds me of a couple of things um number one also that we can access you know holistic healing on this office of what i call the fourfold approach of holistic self-work which we also engage in our program is really that you can access layers or dimensions way beyond just your childhood wounding but as you just beautifully explained it goes deeper into ancestral uh, healing, you know, you, you took over or you were carrying what your parents, grandparents or ancestors were carrying. Or in a similar meditation I did as well, the somatic descent, I was accessing past life trauma within our body. So everything is accessible in the now within in our bodies. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't even need to have a fancy past life regression as long as you can free the trapped emotional experience without knowing the specific story that's fine through this process as you just explained. Exactly. But I have to say, when we're exploring the body, you're not going in there intentionally trying to find trauma. You're not going there intentionally trying to undig some ancestral stuff. I was not doing that when I was explaining this practice. I was just being present with what was without trying to fix or change it. And I was gently exploring it with the breath. So I was basically giving compassion and awareness to a part of my body that by default I would check out from. And that was what changed everything. Very, very, very important point. You don't want to just go dig in the mud what is there, but it, it revealed itself naturally exactly. as you allowed it to help. Yes, you yes. know what I mean? There's no forceful process. It's a very delicate process, which brings me exactly to the second point, to trust the wisdom, the somatic uh, intelligence, even the spiritual intentions of your body, yeah. of your soul being within your body that's embedded in your body. So that's why I always say you are your own healer. And that sounds like a very generic term people throw around, but it's true in that sense. Even when I say I saw it in my bodywork practice, you know, people on my table had tremendous healing experiences and they th told me that I'm such an amazing healer and all of this in their words. But I know I didn't do anything. I know sometimes we need uh, the right space to the for deeper healing to, to happen and we need others you know, to assist and support us in that. But I knew in my own work as a body worker, as I was working on my client's uh, body, so to speak, uh, I was tuning into the body intelligence, right? Uh, through my own intuitive approach. And then the body did its thing. It, it, it unwinded, it brought up things, it brought up uh, suppressed emotions or, or whatever needed to happen. But it was the body intelligence of the client doing it, not me. Right. So, in the same sense, when we do the, the inner work on ourselves through this very somatic modalities, as Laura just described, you tap into your own body intelligence and it will assist you. Right. There's even divine grace and all of the higher self, your soul being, assisting you in that process. So, we really always need to keep that in mind. And yes, sometimes we need help 
nurturing touch of somebody else the same with just a basic psychological self-work like shadow work and all of that there's only so much we can do on our own we need the feedback mirroring from other people as well but essentially you are your own healer yeah and i just want to also add on to that um we're going to have to talk about the trauma stuff in the second hour um and i because i i realized i forgot to touch on to the second part so there's another practice that I do, which I call somatic self-inquiry. So this is being attuned enough to your body to inquire, what am I feeling? Mm. When have I felt this way before? What does the situation remind me of? You basically, it's not like the traditional Eastern self-inquiry where you're trying to ask questions basically to remove all the barriers to find the self, the capital S self. This is just inquiring, you know, into your body and getting into a conversation with your body. So this is something we go into really in depth in Embodied Soul Awakening. Um, I use, I kind of use my own version of compassion and inquiry, but a really important practice if you're not a really good person at identifying your emotions is to do these check-ins. Be like, you know, take a moment and check in with your body Ask yourself, what am I feeling? Is this a good or a bad feeling? Is it overwhelming or is it comfortable? You know, and just starting to learn the language to give language to your body is really key. And you can even go deeper, you know. So when you're triggered, a question that I often ask people is, who does this person or situation remind you of? And you can immediately usually start to trace back the past experience that's being reignited into the present. So I often do self-inquiry. So I'm someone who often will just disassociate or I go into my head when I'm feeling an uncomfortable emotion. So say if I had a uncomfortable interaction with someone online, which happens pretty frequently because I'm very engaged, I'm reading comments, I'm replying to people. And I notice after that interaction that I'm starting to just have trouble focusing. I'm spacing out. I'm not feeling really great. I usually take a moment, I turn off whatever it is I'm looking at and I check in. Where do I feel this in my body? What is the emotion that's there? What does that emotion want to do? So sometimes when I'm like, I, when I realize the emotion is something like anger, I, you know, will allow myself to either like push against something, clench my fist, push a wall, um, sometimes I even verbalize the anger in my head as a way of discharging it because anger is one of those emotions that can easily turn into freeze if it's not discharged. So you want to kind of understand what that emotion wants your body, how that emotion wants your body to move basically, because each emotion has an in organic intelligence to it. It's not meant to stay stagnant and frozen in our body. So cry, like, you know, sadness wants to cry. Anger wants some sort of aggressive action, you know. Fear sometimes wants us to run away. So through engaging in self-inquiry and identifying the emotions that are there, maybe even the past history that's behind it, and finding the right um, body movement that can help you express that emotion, this is the ens this is the essence of somatic experiencing, by the way, is finding the movement that the emotion wants to make in order to be processed to completion. For example, Peter Levine, who worked with lots of um, uh, people who have, you know, severe PTSD or even sexual trauma, a huge thing is them getting into their anger. So I'm going to get into more of the trauma stuff in the second hour, but just keep in mind that 
you're not only just being with the emotions and just discovering what's there, that's a big part of the practice, but through the self-inquiry, you can identify the emotion and then find out what is the action that this emotion wants to do. That's obviously a healthy emotion, ideally, in order to express itself, in order to get it out of my body. So it's not just staying there stiff and um, you know, sitting in your meditation posture all stoic. No, sometimes your body will want to make an organic movement in order to process that emotion. Excellent. So off to the second hour, there will you go deeper into what Laura just shared about going deeper into some trauma exercise and saying trauma in light of somatic work. I want to talk about some other modalities uh, and healing practices like chiropractor, uh, acupuncture, some amazing experiences that that dance. I want to talk about ecstatic dance and five rhythm. That's helped me a lot as well to somatic exploration and healing. Uh, and then some other uh, topics we get into about strengthening the nervous system in all that, especially in this day and age. And what anything else we go into? Yeah, we're really going to also talk about like how we know something is off in our body mind and how it affects our lives and relationships, which I think is really important to be able yeah. to read these cues that, okay, I got to take care of myself. Beautiful. So uh, if you're not a member already and want access to the second hour, just go to veilofreality.com. That's my website. You can sign up to the membership and you have access to all over 100 of episodes, all the second hours. We go way, way deeper into everything we've discussed so far. With that being said, see you on the second hour. Thank you.